Welcome to Surviving Society, a political podcast exploring the local and global politics of race and class from a sociological perspective. In conversation with academics and activists, researchers and artists, we platform discussions between knowledge sharers, creatives and intellectuals, and change makers. Our mission is clear political education for the masses, grounded in history, theory, and practice. Enjoy the episode and please do share with your networks. Welcome to another episode of Surviving Society's Alternative to Women's Hour. It's been a minute since we've recorded one of these, but I am really excited today to be joined in the studio by Afia Hagen. Afia, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me no problem. in this cosy little podcasting bunker. Big up the legendary content is Queen, which is where we host Survive in Society and record it, Love if it. you didn't know. Um, so Afia is a writer, journalist and royal commentator. That is me. Bit of a Survive in Society spoiler. We've got <laughs> two actually seasons that are in production at the moment about the monarchy, as in the British monarchy, as, as in the Windsors, mm-hmm. as in the gangsters, as in the firm. <laughs> as in the call, firm. As yeah. in the firm. Am I allowed to call them gangsters? Mm, you can. I won't. wanted to bring Afia on the show for such a long time because Afia is a long time collaborator with our executive producer George Afori Addo and we've been we've been needing to merge these worlds for a long time and it's just taken us some time but now we are here we are present and we are loving it the planets have aligned finally for this to happen Fia, like just for the Mm -hmm. listeners, it would be really great because bearing in mind, so our listeners are very much interested in sociology, politics, popular Mm -hmm. culture, cultural studies, academia, but also the media. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess it'd be really good for the listeners to introduce a bit about yourself and your sort of trajectory into effectively journalism. Okay. Um, So I was born in Glasgow. I came to London to go to university in 1999. I'm really old. No, you're not. A little bit. No, you're not. So you were born in Glasgow? Yeah. So you're a black Glaswegian? I'm like one of five. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Love this. Uh, what was that like growing up in Scotland, in Glasgow? It was really nice. I mean, I grew up in a village, literally just a literally a village, just outside Glasgow, only black in the village, until another black family moved in. I was like, no. No, there can only be no, one. Literally. <laughs> Where did you come from? <laughs> what are you doing here? Um, And it was, it was, it is what it was. It was lovely. Like, there was no real racism I didn't really face racism until I moved to London yes England's bad vibes I mean I don't want to do Scottish exceptionalism but equally England's different yeah definitely Um, and I loved it so I moved here to go to uni I went to City University did undergraduate journalism and then just you know got a job then another one then another one and just stayed kind of thing yeah Yeah. do you think that your trajectory because I know you're you're primarily based in the UK Mm -hmm. but you do work in Ghana as well yeah like I think we're seeing like a real turn I mean I don't want to sound sort of too presentist in this but a real turn in kind of black creators black journalists Mm -hmm. moving between the continent and and Britain yeah in, in a much more fluid way absolutely and I think that had started just before COVID but COVID because everything everything went remote and people 
especially in the creative industries we're at home and we're doing things from anywhere via Skype or Zoom or you know Microsoft Teams or whatever it meant that people could work from wherever they wanted essentially and so I took that opportunity to do lots of work from Ghana and lots of work in Ghana as well in Accra mainly Um, and I think we are seeing a lot more of that amongst creatives and creatives seeing and you know and people in media and journalism seeing the different ways that it can be done and I think perhaps in the past traditionally we thought well if I'm working for X organization and they send me to a crowd that's the only way I can do it but I think now because we do so many different things people are so many hyphenates you know a broadcaster journalist writer editor mother wife all these things and we can do them anywhere and everywhere yeah, yeah, yeah. and and also we have multiple streams of income I think people realize as well that you can't just rely on this freelance job or that one um and so people have also thought you know let me look at doing something in West Africa or let me look at doing something in Ghana or let me talk about that project or that subject and so I think the world has become smaller in the best possible way. I think you're right Afia although just thinking on a kind of personal level like I am an academic but also am a freelancer as well and do lots of different creative and academic projects at once that's how I want to work I'm very fortunate to be able to work in that way but I definitely feel like thinking about yeah sociologies of work here in us being more remote I'm not sure for me personally whether it's necessarily aided my relationship with work yeah yeah um we've spoken on the show about this quite a few times but the combination of work seeping into home life yeah as someone like me I've got high function ADHD which means I am constantly doing tasks in in doing tasks in order to get one task done Mm -hmm that boundary between work and home and life crossing over has definitely been something which I've struggled with in the pandemic. Yeah, and me too. Um, Especially in the first year um, (laughs) and the second year. Um, (laughs) You know, I went from doing days in in a studio, the television channel I was working for at the time, which would, you know, if I was lucky, end it three or four so I could do the school run, even though it was an early start, until being on all the time. time you know you would do hits I was doing hits for that channel and then somebody would call you up can you do that and you're at home so you just do it and yeah. then you do another one then I do another one then you write a piece and absolutely I think definitely for that first year home and work amalgamated into one thing and I remember like I used to have to put a sign on the kitchen door uh, yeah you know in the it was called the newsroom and we called the living room the studio and actually had to have an on-air sign so people didn't come in and even now actually like you know last night I sat down and was doing some editing on on the sofa and I, and I figured out that you know I did a whole day of work and then came home and did a whole other day of work. That's what I'm saying. Whilst mothering and, and doing all these other things. And yeah, absolutely. It hasn't been great for the work-life balance. And I think as well, I've had to really think about being able to rest. I'm not very, I'm not good at resting at all. Mm. I'm not good at switching off. I have massive amounts of guilt if I have a day off. Like on Friday at the moment, my diary is clear. Like this is very rare that that happens even though I'm working on Saturday and I'm working on Sunday so Friday is like my day off if you will mm. people keep trying to put things in the diary and I'm like oh maybe no you've got to stop it oh maybe no you've got to stop I've actually had to put in my diary do not put anything in here 
It's, it's difficult, it's isn't it? It's really hard. And like, I really hit everything you're saying now about work-life balance. It's really speaking to me. And especially that kind of like, I've done a day's work and then I'll do some editing or do some other bits, like answer emails in the evening. That is just such a habit that I've really yeah. got into. And like unlearning that in the context of a uh, cost of living crisis yep. in the context of like increased bills and the context yeah increased bills and a cost of living crisis because I feel like those two things relate to each other but I think you could also make them sort of distinct as well because mm. I f- sometimes I feel like the cost of living is like how I go and do my food shop and it's like triple the amount of what mm-hmm. it was like yeah. a couple of years ago but then also like my meter like going up Sorry, yeah and as a freelancer as well you know what it's like you know you're always thinking about the next job the next job the next job we don't really allow ourselves to be very present in what we're doing um and even though we're you know as a freelance I'm very fortunate to be doing different things every day I mean I love that what did I what did I do yesterday oh I had a meeting with um um about potentially making a documentary in the morning and then I did a black history month workshop at nine with school in the afternoon yeah um today I think I'm on podcast number two of the day before I go and do tv this evening and then tomorrow I've got a film screening before I do um a bit of TV about the royal family. You know, it's so varied and so wonderful, but you're always thinking about what's next. Exactly. But do we need to roll back and as black, black creatives, as black scholars, really think about what we're saying yes to and what we're saying no to? Yeah. But, and how, but, but again, like, we're always operating in the context of us traditionally and systematically having what we do or who we are as marginalised within the industries we work in, whether it's the yeah. media or academia. Mm-hmm. So, like, saying no to things sometimes is quite difficult because mm-hmm. we're like, well, we need to take that opportunity. Yeah. But actually, in the context of, like, the pandemic and everything that's happened with the blurring of work and home, and then in the context of kind of Black Lives Matter creating more what seems to be quote unquote inclusive cultures in some professions in terms of us getting more opportunities how do we square these circles mm. and it's really difficult isn't it because i think also we have a habit of operating from a position of lack yes right and so we always think uh we're always coming from the negative and what we need to do is operate from a position of abundance so ah. that you know, we attract more things to us. And there's real... Can you say more about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so we need to always think, first of all, we need to believe in who we are and our talent. We need to believe how valuable we are. And I'm, I'm saying this as much to myself as I am to everybody else. We need to believe in the value of what we bring to the table. And we need to think that there's always something better around the corner. I have never been in a situation where there has not been something better around the corner. That has happened 100% of the time. So why am I not walking in that every single day? Yeah. And that's what we really need to do. We need to operate from a place of abundance. But we also need to definitely exercise the no. Like I said no to something this week and there was real power in that no. And we don't need to have a reason for it. It's just no. Period. Thank you so much. Keep it moving. Mm. That's powerful as well. Because also, it doesn't have to be me doing every single job. Exactly. It doesn't have to be me. I would also like to watch maths and sleep and eat popcorn and have my husband run my feet. I don't need to be on TV 24-7. I maths don't. Maths is married at first sight. You Sorry. Me? Married yeah. at first sight, guys. Yes. I want to sit at home and watch trash, trash yeah. TV sometimes. I don't always want to be on TV. 
And that needs to come from a place of abundance. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I think what you're talking about as well crosses into different industries in different sectors. But I just don't, I think culturally, we have very much slipped into... And it's a combination of, of people need people needing flexible working hours, mm. which I think is really important, has benefited a lot of people. But actually, what flexible work is possibly done as well is actually increased working. Oh, a hundred percent flexible working. But and then but then I don't want to sit here and die on a hill of the nine to five. No, no, no. I don't want to but do, like this this flexible <laughs> flexible working hours for me is meant working more hours. Yes as flexibly as I can. So, it, you know, for me, flexible working is all about being able to incorporate a school run if I need to, being able to get a block of time with my daughter in the evening. But then that also will mean that when she's gone to bed, I sit down and do another three hours of work or I'll get up really early and do something or work when she's at school. And so, you know, you take the rough with the smooth. You know, I'm doing something on Saturday morning, but I will be done by 9am. So then I have the whole day. I'd say I'm working on Sunday, but I'm attending a film premiere or possibly I might marry Brad Pitt. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, we take the rough with the smooth. And I'm certainly got not going to die on the hill of nine to five. Yeah. It can never be me. I'm no. also not going to die on the hill of working five days a week. Yeah. Even though sometimes I'll work seven days a week. But I might do something for three hours in the evening and I've had my whole day free. I've been in my gym jams up until I had to get ready to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, you have to like I said, take the rough with the smooth. And where you are saying yes to things, say yes to things that are valuable to you. And by valuable, I can mean that in monetary sense or something that's going to enrich your life and something that's going to um, tap into that flexible working. Do things that work for you and don't do things that don't. I I mostly agree with you, fear because I think I'm the same as you in how I think and approach work and life. However, I don't think we're gen pop, as in I don't think we're the general population on this. And I, I don't no. think that this way of working is necessarily good for the well-being and health of everyone. It might not even be for us. Who, yeah. like, who knows? So, <laughs> we'll like, find out in five years' time. It is. We're thinking about, yeah. you're just thinking about capitalism here and how it yeah. is infiltrated our very intimate lives mm. and our capacity to handle that in the context of having a government which clearly doesn't care about the most most mm-hmm. marginalised in the context of, yeah, bills, lack people lacking in cash in general. I'm just... I think I, I'm I'm definitely not the first to say that I'm very much concerned about the well-being of everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Because like you're saying, the way that we work is, might not work for us, might not work for anybody else. And it would definitely not indicative of the general population at all. But in generally, when people are working, people are, have less money in their pockets at the end of the month but still have the same amount of things to buy, still have the same family or themselves to feed. And, you know, you could be going to your job every single day or doing your job every single day from home and worrying about that pay packet at the end of the month. And that weighs on you as you are working, as you are putting in your nine to five, your eight to six, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing. And so then it becomes, so what, what am I doing this for? 
what am I doing this for and I'm still struggling? Why am I why am I putting in all this work and at the end of the month I still can't pay all my bills? How many and there's so many people, more people than we realise, are in that situation, are having those thoughts. And so it's so detrimental on your mental health. I fear, honestly, I'm gonna get a bit deep here. I'm a bit Do it. deep. Because honestly, like you're making me think about I've been thinking about a lot of these things more recently, and particularly in the last year, as listeners all know, I've had um quite a challenging year. I was talking to my good friend um, Paulette Williams about this the other week and I was sat on the sofa and I was like, P, what is the meaning of all of this, of life? Like, as in, I actually do love the hustle and I do love work and I love creativity. I love doing stuff. I'm so lucky that I get to do a job like Mm. this. But what are we doing? Yeah. What are we doing it for? And I think that, and I I think that I think I do know some things, Mm. but it's important to return to that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, that has to be what gets you out of bed every day because I'm like you I love I love my job when I was doing um the workshop at Naima school yesterday and one of the kids was like do you like your job and I was like I don't like my job I love I love my job I love it it has its moments where I'd literally want to flush my head down the toilet but I love my job and you have to love what you do to be able to hustle like we do but then you think to yourself actually what what am I doing all this for? I'll get paid an X amount of money and I'll do it again and get paid. And do, but what is that all for? Mm. Am I just do, Am I just acquiring more things? Yeah. Am I buying more bags? Am I going on more holidays? Where does it end? Like yeah. what is the top drawer of the things that I'm prepared to do and how much I want to get paid? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you do find yourself thinking about all those things and you think, so actually if I only did this and got X, would I be happy with Y? Mm. and and so you do you think you know what am I doing it all for how did I get here and do I want my daughter to be hustling and portfolioing like this I don't know no definitely you know I completely agree and I think that my conclusion that I've come to is that what I'm doing this for how I'm living I would like to develop very small contributions to making the world a better place Mm -hmm. for people for lots of different people in the long term that goes outside of my um, life. Yeah. So what I mean by that is I want to make, yeah, very, I want to make small contributions to making life for most, for the majority of people better. And I think my, the way I want to do that is by creating different forms of knowledge production, different forms of understanding the society and the life we live, different ways of understanding power and how that infiltrates our everyday lives, Mm -hmm. but with other people and collaboratively. I think that that is what I want to do. I think that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. But what is crucial about that is it goes outside of my lifetime. Yeah. So what I'm doing or how I'm living or what I'm trying to produce and generate with amazing people like yourselves is stuff that can be used when I'm not here. Yeah. But that's not, again, like tiny, 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 point no, point no, 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 I want to be on the right side of history. Yeah. That's it, right? So when my daughter looks back, she can say that mum was on the right side of history. Yeah. That mum raised her voice when voices needed to be raised. Yeah. That mum did this so I can do this. I think that's that's my why. And I, I kind of do that in 
in in different ways and all the different things that I do whether it is more pop culturally or maybe, maybe when it is more serious or less serious yeah be on the right side of history do something so somebody could do something else you know yeah. no I, t- I completely agree and I think that it's not that I necessarily wanted kind of individual or materials quote-unquote success for myself I I never was really comfortable with that but equally I didn't really know what I was doing I knew <laughs> that I liked I've always known that I like learning from people and being around people I'm very much an extrovert although I think that's changed slightly in the last year but um <laughs> What 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 am I doing this for? What are we creating here? What are we doing? And it's because it's beyond us. Yeah. It's my friend um, Jason Arday who always says to me, "It's bigger than you." Chantel. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's just having in these moments where we're really we're hustling, we're working hard, but in the context of a society that is not necessarily quote unquote rewarding that mm-hmm. or making life more livable for the majority, we do have to have these conversations where we sit back and we're like, "What are we doing?" Yeah. Who is it for? And and that's it. What what you just said there's so pertinent. Making life more livable for the majority. We actively have a government who making life more unlivable for the majority. And and I just don't understand on a really primal level. I know I've talked a lot about being a mum, yeah. but as 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 a as a mother who has a daughter and has another mouth to feed, I don't know how how Liz Trust, for example, as a mother, can look at other families, know that she's actively taking money out their pockets, and therefore out their children's mouths, and can sleep at night. Babe, she doesn't care about you. She, she doesn't care. They don't care. They don't. And they I don't know. Care. And I know they don't. But I find that so. Well, not unbelievable because obviously they are who they are. You know, politicians don't care. But on a human level, how are you brought up? By wolves? How are you brought up? I think that's a really good point, Afia. And I think it is something that I personally on this show have been contemplating, grappling with, banging my head against the microphone on because regardless of what side of the house you sit on, regardless of whether you follow party politics or are part of a political party, I left the Labour Party, regardless of those things, I, same as you, like as an empath for my sins, like I don't think, I don't think I'd necessarily recommend being an empath to people. It's hard work. It's hard work. work. As an empath, I find it so hard on a day-to-day level to to understand or comprehend how these people can do this to to people it is it it if i can't deep it because again like as an empath it makes me really it, it really affects me physically yeah. and emotionally yeah but it is it's appalling it is and it just and we're 12 years deep well we're more than that we're deep. long we're long time if we're just talking from coalition to now but obviously new labor we did a fuckery to a lot of people yeah. as well but yeah the and intensification doesn't make any sense to me. It does, and it also doesn't make sense. This is the thing, as well as being kind of the empath side of things, it doesn't make sense economically, yeah, fiscally, or fiscally, to... or what they've what they've done or no, have been doing. No, it 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 just you know if you're taking money out of people's pockets, you are essentially taking money out of the economy because people don't have it to spend. In any year, you should not have people dying as a direct result of poverty. It should never happen. 
in any country in the world. It should not be happening. Do you remember in the like, I think it was the mid to late noughties and Gordon Brown was like, I think it was Tony Brown and Gordon Brown's aim to end child poverty by 2020. My God, can you imagine? And, and child can you imagine? poverty can you imagine? in 2020 was more probably food, at its highest levels. More food, more food banks than McDonald's. It's just, un, it's unfathomable. It's unbelievable. Um, and I think if you'd, if, if you'd said to me, at, at, in, at the advent of new labour, so 98, 97. Thank you. One of them years. <laughs> I think if you'd said to me then, you've got new labour now. It's not perfect, but it's better than it was. But in 15 years' time, you're going to be back to conservative austerity and... Authoritarian... Yeah, conservative and the re- yeah. the repealing of rights and laws, and child poverty going through the roof, and general poverty going through the roof. I'd have been like, how, mm. how? Because nobody in the UK, after what we've been through to get to new Labour, is going to want to vote for us to take five step backwards. But then I didn't realise. Oh no, my, my, the British actually love, they love stupid. it. Stupid. No, 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 they love suffering. I don't get it. I hate suffering. I don't, it's, it's, it's something, it's a psychosis. I don't know what it, it is. It is. It's almost like now, they're in love with their captors. I'm, I'm telling you this now. I really believe, and you can have me on record for this, it will be on record. I believe the Tories will win the next election. Uh, do you know what, Chantel? I said this the other day. Is that, do you, and let me tell you why. Because the British public are foolish Okay, they have short term memory loss and also because they fear what they do not understand and they fear change and they have in their head that it's better the devil we know. Yeah. Right. So they're like the Tory government are terrible. Boris Johnson is, was shocking. Liz Truss is a robot. But there Kwesi are people. Kwarteng yeah. is clueless. This is terrible. You know, um, we cannot fill our... The, the tanks of our cars, you know, we can't use the heating and it's minus 15 outside, but maybe the Labour government will do worse. So it wasn't that bad. We got through it. Let me just vote for them again. And I guarantee you, see this, when it was Labour Party conference and they were like, oh, there's a 30 point leave over the Conservatives. Like, and what? Doesn't mean anything because we have short term memory loss. So when it comes to the ballot box, people will be like, What's the name again? Tory party, conservative. Starts with a C, it's above an L. Let me just tick that box because I'm tired. I need to get home where I have no heating, have no electricity and my pets have died because I haven't fed them. They just will not remember. The 30 point lead doesn't mean anything unless there was a general election on that day. And even then, Labour Party wouldn't win because the people who do the exit poll lie. They lie. Oh, I'll definitely vote for Keir Starmer. I love him. Who's he again? You're oh, lying. Yeah, they do lie. They lie. They lie. This is why when it came <laughs> when it when it came to the Brexit vote, I was shell shocked because I was like, wait, what? But the exit polls told me because you are all liars. Say it with your chest. <laughs> they I want to they leave can't. the EU. Say it with your chest. <laughs> I hate black. Say it with your chest. <laughs> And and it just it just it it annoys me. It it makes me so angry because this British electorate. You're right, Chantal. I never realised they love suffering. 
They love suffering. Bootlicking. They want the queue at the job centre to be all down the road. They want to have no electricity, no gas. So they have a story to tell their grandchildren. Do you remember that summer in 2022 when I had internet and an iPhone 14, but I didn't have any heating, any gas, and I killed all my pets because I couldn't feed them? Nonsense. Sorry, guys. None of this is funny, but I think a fear just... Like, right, okay, that's a survivor's like, mic drop right there. It is... It, it's ridiculous because and also I think one of the reasons why I got you there is because I'm taking you to two years time to that general election and yeah. we know and I was, we I was, know what's going to happen it was election happen. night right it was and, 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 and he uh, probably Hugh Kit. Edwards because yeah, it's yeah. always Hugh he's got his big screen yeah. right and he's got his graphics yeah. right and it's like 11.39 right mm-hmm. and at this point Labour are in the lead you know, the exit polls, lie, lie, pants on fire. So the exit polls are telling me that, you know, they're going to get to 300 before, the, you know, the Conservatives. And there's hope in my little heart. And it's all defrosting. And I'm like, oh, we've done it. You know, mm. even though I don't think Labour are a viable opposition. But at this point, I'm thinking any anything is better than Conservatives. Right. And I'll go to bed at 11.56 and Labour still in the read. And I'll have a nice sleep. And I'll wake up oh, in the morning. Oh, I stay up. Oh, no, because, because what's happened is I've been lulled uh, into yeah, a false yeah, sense fine, of security. Fine, fine, fine. So at this point. That was point, like Trump and Brexit as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So at this point, they've got like 60% of the vote. I mean, it's not it's not that they've won. It's a landslide. I'm I'm thinking, yes, it's over. You know, we can finally have some hope for this 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 nonsense embarrassment of a country. <laughs> and then the next morning, I'll wake up at six thirty six and I'll glance at my phone and and it and it will have the BBC News flash breaking breaking. Conservatives take this one, this one, this one. You're talking about a blue wall. You're talking about a conservative swing. And I've got to dash my phone across the room again, again. And I know how it feels. And that all jokes aside, it is so, Painful. it's soul destroying. Yes. It's crushing. You think to yourself of the four years that have just gone and the four years ahead. And it's, it's painful. It's painful. Because you're like, nobody here has learned a lesson. No one. I don't get it. At least with the Americans, our American brothers and sisters, they learned the lesson from four years of Trump. Do you think they we'll they, they we'll voted see. for him? So I can't give them too much credit. Oh yeah, but, but, yeah, yeah, but at least they didn't vote for him again. again. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. British people, no. because they have no sense, will vo- vote for it again. Yeah, and it's going to happen. Your Labour Party thirty point lead does not mean jack. I totally agree. And also, actually, whilst we're here, Fia, so part of the reason, and this is why I never get why the Labour Party throw all their black voters under the bus, because your people in Scotland... <laughs> My people, Your yeah. people in Scotland do not vote for Labour Party anymore. At all. So you, you they cannot win. No. They can't it win. They, they can't win. No. They can't win. So, so I mean, why do your people in Scotland not vote for Labour anymore? I grew up in a time where Scotland was a Labour stronghold. Wow. So even the time that I grew up in was Labour stronghold. Uh, Conservatives have been in adult jumps in Scotland for a long time and SNP were like a fringe like mentalist bar <laughs> whoa the nationalists stay over there nothing to do with us at all yeah and you know even New Labour um, New Labour was still doing very well in Scotland and it just because you gave them devolution mm, didn't they what exactly. happened gave them devolution right go, uh, and then Scotland realised that devolution was good for Scotland. Yeah. And then SNP capitalised that. And the SNP have one job. Nationalism for Scotland. One job. One job. Yeah. And actually, um, That's the message. Alex Salmond, he's he's murky, but you cannot deny 
that he was instrumental in taking the SNP from a fringe nationalist weirdo party <laughs> to a party that is got Scotland in a stronghold. Conservatives, nowhere. Labour, who? Literally. The Scottish Tories have made some gains. What's that name, Ruth? Yeah, some gains, but not enough to have any influence on a nationalist vote when it happens. So the the popularity of the SNP Mm -hmm. has meant the demise of the Labour Party. The Labour Party can't win England because... Um, of the home counties primarily yeah. um, being such strongholds for the Tories. So I just don't get what anyone's plan is. Like if I was a Labour Party, I'd be like, right, I need to join up with the Greens, I need to join up with SNP, I need to join, join up with, with the Lib Dems. Yeah. Where are they? Hold it. Are they on holiday? No, Lib Dems are Can Tory someone light, find out where the, the Lib Dems are? Yeah. So it, it's just interesting to me because they're going to win. Tories? The Tories are going to win. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are. They are. The problem is we have no viable opposition. Please, please take what I'm saying with a pinch of salt. I'm not talking about um, Tony Blair, weapons of mass destruction, the Iraq war. Let's look at it on a level of what the parties managed to do. This is why New Labour was good, because they galvanised support and they galvanised a movement and they galvanised people to vote for them. Mm. They clearly set out, this is who we are, this is what we stand for, this is what we're going to do for you. Labour Party, we don't know who we are. We don't know what we stand for. And what we are going to do is confuse you endlessly. Yeah. That's what the Labour Party are doing now, right? And so, and you're right. And on that, the Tories are able to be like, we're racist. Come here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they, they yeah, do yeah. it. They're the with best. With your chest. With your chest. Yeah, they do yeah, it with yeah. their chest. Yeah. It's a very easy thing to unite behind. Yeah, yeah. Britain for Britain first. Yeah. White people should do well. Everybody else don't even come here. My dream is to have a plane full of people taking off for Rwanda. And You're I the home put, and secretary. I, and I will, I will put people that look like me on this plane mm. and tell them to go home because I've made it, but it doesn't mean that you can. How dare you? Yeah. How dare you be seeking asylum? Yeah. I didn't seek asylum. So why should you be seeking asylum? Yeah. How dare you come from unfortunate circumstances? I didn't. Work I don't recognise you Work and harder. who you are. Work You're not harder. exactly. Work harder. Exactly. It's very, very depressing. But I think yep. one of the things we have to kind of hold on to. <laughs> we, we have quite a lot of people come on the show. Nothing have to done. To. They're mutual aid. How people come together uh-huh. in times of crisis. Mm-hmm. There has been a lot of mutual aid, whether that is... But there cre- shouldn't be I mutual know, aid. I know, we should not. We should not be in a time where, like you said, more food banks than McDonald's. Yeah. That when the pandemic hit, you know, people were donating to charities to make sure old people in their community were fed. We shouldn't be doing none of that. Yes, there should be community spirit. I get that. And there should be communities coming together. But the community should not be the ones that are carrying and do the responsibility of big government because big government actually doesn't care about the people at the very bottom of society and they've made it perfectly clear that we don't care about you and you know what's mad just going back to the short-sightedness and the short-term memories of the british public like we literally found out that boris and his men gave and women and people gave covid contracts their mates mm-hmm. of course 
course they did. I know, but th- it's just just fine. Yeah, so that just happened. Yeah, but this, money, is, like, but this is the thing: is that there's so many things that have just happened for twelve years. Yes, you're and right. And we've just let it go because well, well, that's what government does. No, 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 that's not what government does. And there's so little understanding of what government does and how government should work that people just accept it because you know why? My milk was a bit cheaper this week. Do you know what's really interesting as well about this is we had um, Jeremy Corbyn yes. on the show the other week, and he, I was, I was saying to him, look, your the messaging in the Labour Party is off, it's like a mess. it's not, it's a mess. But he, his point was, how are we supposed to get clear messaging when we have a media? that is very much anti everything we're about That's and does true. not give like I do like we can sit we could sit and do a whole episode I mean we have done in the past on this show that, about the pros and cons or a critical reflection of Corbynism but the way the media do treat voices that are centering socialism or redistribution of wealth uh-huh. or an increase in ta- taxation of the wealthy like these are we're not getting a media. We're not getting a media that is that that is critical. We're getting a media that is very much in, aligned with power and capital. Because look at look at where most of the media houses are, who owns them. I know, and how they are centered, and how they are along the political spectrum. But you know? people, but it's so normalized for people, like everyday people, that the media is bible or that the media is like if it's if you've read it in a news article then it's correct and what's really difficult about this is we never want to get into like kind of different versions of the truth or conspiracy or it's why it makes it so hard to actually have a nuanced conversation or one that's purposeful in being clear that the media play a really big part in keeping the tory party in power yeah they absolutely do um, and you're right in saying there's a real lack of critical thinking when it comes to um, what we're consuming in mainstream media. Actually, I hate using that term. What we're consuming full stop, actually. Yeah. Whether that's mainstream media or not. Um, and there's a real lack of being able to question things without it going down the path of a conspiracy theory. But I think people really need to think, sit down and look at what, what, am, I, what am I reading? What am I watching? Who are the owners and yeah. how are they aligned? And how does this um, headline or this story benefit them and take things with a pinch of salt. And I think Jeremy Corbyn is right. Um, Don't get me wrong, he's had his issues as well. But I do think he is right in saying that there isn't room for another narrative at the moment at all. And actually the only narrative that there's room for when it comes to Jeremy Corbyn is Jeremy Corbyn was in charge of a party that was rife with anti-Semitism. And and actually at the moment that's what a lot of people will think about and remember when when they think about Jeremy Corbyn. And also the, the, the Labour Party he has massive problems with exclusion and racism as well as the Tory party and I think people even people find it more offensive when it comes to the Labour Party because the Labour Party are traditionally supposed to be a party of the people a party of uh, the workers of those who are othered come to us and we'll be under your umbrella but it's not it's not like a we're not all singing kumbaya at the Labour Party conference definitely not Afia, when we talk about mainstream politics yeah. on Surviving Society, mm-hmm. we try and get our guests to sort of bring in a few 
anecdotal hopeful reflections Mm -hmm. because actually it's just a madness it's fuckery it's shit it's babylon (laughs) all of that like it is but where is the hope oh fear where's the hope such a good question isn't it i guess the hope is that new babies are being born that will take over the labor party one day maybe they'll be sensible so my hope is that don't know there isn't any hope so my hope's long term and I think I've said it on the show before um, I believe that the Tories will win the next election but I'm also very keen for the demise and end of the Labour Party as well like I just don't the Labour Party I I think we need we need a new party yeah we need a viable I feel like I've said the phrase viable opposition about 17,000 times so I'm just going to say it one more time we need a viable actual non-racist anti-racist anti perhaps capitalism anti the rich get richer and the poor get poorer party that are genuinely for the genuinely for the people now I don't think any party is ever going to be that I think it's going to be a coalition we need a coalition which means we need to get rid of the Labour Party but we so it's good but you know that it's going to be the best of a bad bunch because no party is going to do every single thing that you and I wanted to do no but we need something but we need something we need something else triple triple triple. my mortgage my bills oh my god honestly and and you know what we it would be nice to have a bit of hope wouldn't it It because when you said to me I genuinely could not find any bright spot in the political landscape whatsoever and that's really grim actually you have been listening to surviving society <laughs> alternative women's hour i'm laughing because it's been a great conversation it always is a bit of fear but equally like it does feel like a very challenging time it does but listeners stick with us hope soon hopefully we'll see you again next week thank you Thank you for listening to Surviving Society. To support our work, you can rate, review and subscribe to host or produce a series of Surviving Society. Get in touch with us via Twitter or Instagram.